On this episode, Andy is joined by Tim Root of the 20 Years of Nitro podcast. Welcome to the Road Home from Wrestling interview. I feel safest of all I can lock all my doors And it's the only way live In cars Last time I saw you, you were in the back of a, a cab in Texas I don't know what the hell you were doing there But uh, you had a big oh, old beer yeah. I was on a work trip I was out, uh, if I remember right I went and played some bar trivia with a co-worker Had a few too many drinks And then you called and I answered And all of a sudden I was broadcasting uh, drunk from the back of a back of a Uber in Houston, Texas. Hey, times. when in Houston, right? Oh man, uh, I don't know if anyone uh, you know any of your fans are from Houston, but if you're in that town, you got to be drinking in order to get by. Good to know. Well, I am drinking tonight, so uh, having a few beers because it's Memorial Day. And hey, man, I'm happy to finally talk to you. This is a long time in the making. You know, I've been uh, listening to the 20 Years of Nitro podcast for three years now, I guess, right around three years. And uh, tell me a little bit about how this all got started. You and your buddy Dave Amantorp, you guys love Nitro, but what's your experience with Nitro and how did this all get started? Yeah, so it actually started, I had an earlier podcast, non-wrestling related. It was called the Bookends Podcast. Uh, it was me and my friend Michael Dernberger, and we just kind of had our friends on, and we would talk about sort of something that they were a big fan of, whatever that was. Uh, and we ended up having Dave on, and he wanted to talk about wrestling. Uh, and the sort of gimmick of the show was we would bookend uh, whatever it was they were a fan of by talking about sort of where that began and where that ended. So for Dave, he liked wrestling. So we talked about the first WrestleMania that he could remember watching, which was WrestleMania Six. Uh, which was the Hogan Warrior main event. And then we talked about the most recent WrestleMania to that point, which at the time was Daniel Bryan uh, WrestleMania 30, which was, you know, the streak ended, uh, sort of the rise of Daniel Bryan and that whole thing. So it ended up, we talked and talked and talked, and it ended up being so much discussion that it was a two-part episode. Uh, And Dave and I just realized that we liked talking about wrestling together so much uh, that we should really kind of start our own wrestling podcast. And from there, it was a matter of just narrowing down, okay, what's the subject matter? Because it feels like, even back then, and this was four or five years ago, it felt like at the time, so many things were already kind of uh, covered. People <laughs> were already doing pay-per-view by pay-per-view through the Hogan era, through the New Generation era, through the Attitude era. Uh, and so much had been done that one... I area we kind of identified where there wasn't a ton of people looking at were a just television television in general of a lot of the podcasts at least at the time were more pay-per-view focused uh and then b was wcw so we decided let's go back nitro by nitro chronologically uh and go through every episode uh dave had been a fan at the time i was not at the time nitro debuted i wasn't even watching wrestling Uh, i had as a child and then I'd kind of waned out of it, and I'd come back later. Um, but when I came back, it wasn't until the summer of 1999. So really, uh, by the time I came back, Nitro was something very few people were <laughs> watching. <laughs> yeah, it was another beast at that point in 99. Um, I've been watching some of the 2000 uh, 
episodes and my god this show is unrecognizable i mean it's it's unbelievable but uh but you know some of the shows that you watch uh they have their fair share of shenanigans in fact when you first started the show off um you guys were in the uh you know the kind of was it the coalition to end hulkamania and you got the uh the dungeon of doom and all that stuff <laughs> that's some silly shit yeah. you know it really, it's a fascinating transitional period um, from 95 to 96 WCW because you start off, uh, the thrust of the program at the beginning is Hulkamania frequently clashing with Dungeon of Doom. Uh, Hulkster has sort of managed to back Sting and Randy Savage into his, his sort of friendly companions who are always up for a good fight against the forces of evil. Uh, and then by 1996, things really start to change. Um, and not to overstate it, but it really is largely because of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash showing up. And things just instantly take this hard right turn into a much grittier sort of, um, to an extent, reality-based as much as you can be reality in the world of professional wrestling. <laughs> reality-based programming. Um, and one thing that we've sort of, we've really gotten to the point where uh, the next Nitro that we're going to cover uh, will be the debut of Glacier. And I think he's a really interesting person to watch because when they start running the Glacier promos, which I want to say is in April of 96, he would have fit right in in WCW of April 96. By the time he debuts in September of 1996, he feels like yesterday's news. Mm -hmm. he's, he's a cartoon character in, a, um, in an organization that's no longer interested in running a cartoon product. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to just Sort of, you can use Glacier to chart like when something, when an idea like Glacier was cool, and when that sort of became passe. Well, it's funny because Glacier oh, would have running this show that that are not wrestling fans that probably wonder what the hell I'm talking. Oh about no, there. no, they're it's if if they got if they don't know what we're talking about, they can go listen to the show, and that's the <laughs> point. But uh, but yeah, um, you know, something funny about Glacier too is Glacier if he had been if he come earlier. If he had been a part of the Dungeon of Doom, he would have been great as a part of the Dungeon of Doom, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, actually, like, something that was probably looked at, back on as something that wasn't silly as something that was actually a bright spot, as opposed to being a completely silly gimmick. And then the, you know, you guys haven't gotten there yet, but the whole Mortis and Wrath thing, and I mean, it is some, yeah. some stupid... That's some stupid yeah. shit you're about to watch. It's <laughs> awesome. So, um... They're guys, though. Um, you know, Chris Canyon... Uh, came out of that. Ray Lloyd, uh, Glacier himself, he's he's a talented wrestler in a lot of respects. Uh, and then you've got Raph, who maybe wasn't talented, but he certainly, he got over a few years down the road. And So I'm looking forward to kind of watching, uh, watching those guys develop. <laughs> well, something I wanted to ask you about is that when you, I have to know this, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about this, and that is that, you know, going through Nitro, especially the particular years that you're watching, um, you know, then, then kind of looking at your, your opinion before and after of covering these shows of Hulk Hogan, I'm very interested to find out how your opinion of him has changed. Um, and like, or did it change? Did you know he was a son of a bitch? You know? <laughs> like, sure. Um, I think my opinion hasn't changed watching Nitro. My opinion has changed over the years. Certainly when I was a kid, I was a huge Hulk fan, uh, wrestling buddies, you know, the whole uh, action figures, t-shirts. I loved Hulk Hogan. I had a Hulk Hogan like tent that I had set up in my bedroom, and I would just stay in my little my little tent in my bedroom. <laughs> um, but really, over the you know over the past few years, sort of before some of the inspirations for us starting uh, our own show were things like OSW Review uh, and the New Generation 
Project podcast. Want to make sure I got that name right. Uh, <laughs> and really, I think the sort of they were maybe some of the first where I really started hearing about sort of the the let's say backstage machinations of Hogan, the way that he kept himself on top um, at the expense of everyone around him. So I think that sort of started to change my opinion probably in the years before we started the podcast. But certainly then as we've done the podcast, seeing it firsthand, it's, I mean, it's pretty blatantly obvious what that guy, he's, he's a very, very shrewd businessman. Um, and sometimes you have to just, just uh, be impressed with, you know, the way that he's able to identify uh, where the trends are going to go and how he can make sure that he's, uh, he's going to be on top of that. Yeah, um, I, there's a scene in one of the OSW reviews, and it's I think it's uh, Fall Brawl, and it's a war. There's a War Games match or something like that, and uh, and um, Macho Man's trying to enter the cage, and Hogan's grabbing him by the back, saying, "Hold on, brother," and they like yep. freeze frame, and they talk about like this is like this, uh, you know, picture is worth a thousand words right here of Hogan just literally grabbing and holding him back, and uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I just met Lanny Poffo recently, you know, and um, I, I didn't get a chance to ask him about that because I was trying to be respectful and not ask him too much about his brother. However, now having met him and everything, I'm going to see him again in a month, and I'm going to definitely ask him about that because he doesn't give a fuck, man. He's all about it. You know, I didn't realize that. So, <laughs> but yeah, I watched your uh, live interview with Lanny. He's he's definitely an interesting cat. And he's fun to. You know, I, one thing I've been amazed in seeing interviews with him, you know, he's got basically every poem that he ever wrote just in his head still, which is, I mean, that's incredible. The guy's got a steel trap of a mind. Well, and, and he just wants people to ask him about it. You know, he's right. like, he's like, got it. He's like preloaded. He's ready to go, you know, and uh, you ask him about something. He's like, oh, yeah, I have six poems I can tell you right now. You know, um, I didn't realize that was the case. But uh, now you guys are, are celebrating. A strange anniversary, we should call it. Um, you know, you have a, a three-year anniversary of doing the show, but a one-year anniversary of covering Nitro, <laughs> if that makes any sense, because you just covered your 51st episode of Nitro, uh, which would be about a year, because I think maybe there was a preempted one for uh, for something, you know, so. Yeah, we had a gimmick when we started uh, of doing every episode that we released we would release our review on the exact 20-year anniversary of when that episode aired. Uh, and then just through, like, life happening and uh, my partner needed some time off. So we ended up taking six months, maybe even longer than that, off from doing the show. Uh, so we are no longer sort of on that weekly schedule, which, thank God, because also in the interim, we I've had another kid. I've moved. I've changed jobs a few times. And uh, just a weekly podcast schedule is nuts. So you guys put out so much time. Pretty amazing. I trust none of you have kids. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyone, anyone who's been on our podcast that has kids is was a regular uh, host is no longer a regular host because they they bit off more than they could chew. So, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, we're out of hand, and you know that's why I'm I'm not going to be doing the Facebook Live things anymore because I've just lost my mind with creating too much content. You know, yeah. so. Uh, but uh, but anyway, now um, another thing that you've been witness to as covering all these uh, nitros, early nitros, is what I like to call Crazy Ric Flair. Um, there are oh, yeah. many iterations of Crazy Ric Flair, and you know before this kind of pairing with woman and and you know and his feud with Hogan and 
you know, mean gene and all the things that, you know, he just yells people's names on the show all the time, which I love it. You know, Ric Flair was a little more of, you know, an old school heel and he didn't go crazy as crazy as you see on nitro. Like he goes insane. And this whole thing with woman, Oh woman, will you marry me now? Um, popping up out of a gurney because he fucked one, you know, fucked them all night and was dead and came back to life or whatever. I mean, talk about some of your favorite flair moments, just crazy flair moments, because there's, there's been some tremendous ones. Yeah, certainly the Gurney one is pretty amazing. Uh, that was right after Elizabeth had turned, and so now he had two women. And uh, the line that he walks, because they're a relatively PG program still, the line he walks in like letting you know that he was up all night boning woman and Liz, uh, but still keeping it somewhat family-friendly is pretty impressive. Um there's just he's a great character because he's he really fills a shade of gray where he is a heel and he's always doing heel things, but it's just accepted that everyone loves him anyway. And he can be in a heel stable where all the other guys are roundly booed uh, and disliked generally, but but Flair is just always on top. He's always coked out of his mind, screaming at the top of his lungs. Any given promo might veer in any number of directions. Uh, you never know when it's just going to start breaking into a song, whatever is just in his stream of consciousness. Uh, but I think what's so amazing about him is that he can turn it on autopilot like that, and it's still going to be better than what 98% of uh, people that came before him or after him have been able to do. Now, I just listened to your recap episode for the year, and yeah. and I uh, I liked your comparison. You said that Ole Anderson was very upset with Ric Flair over bumping for refs and bumping. Like Ric Flair is one of those guys that if you look at him wrong, he takes a bump for you because he's just putting everybody over right and left, you know? And and I think it's a couple things, a couple points about this. Uh, One is, is that it's hilarious when the referee kicks his leg off the ropes or something like that. And, and, you know, and and pushes him and he takes a huge bump for him and Rick loves it, you know? And uh, the fact that Ole Anderson, was thinking that Ric Flair was killing the business back then for that is just <laughs> comical to what we see today. But uh, the other thing, too, is that that is a very interesting juxtaposition to someone like Hogan who won't bump for anybody. You know what I mean? And and you got these two different uh, kind of hemispheres of WCW right at this time, and then the D- NWO come right in the middle, and Hogan just gobbles it up. <laughs> so. Sure. I mean, it's interesting, though, because you can sort of see between Hogan and Flair, who is sort of better revered by history, you know, the the fans, but then who is sort of laughing all the way to the bank, you know what I mean? So Hogan made the decisions that certainly didn't win him any popularity contests with the hardcore fans like you and me, Uh, but his decision certainly landed him in a much better financial footing for life than Ric Flair found himself in, so... I don't know. Who's to say? Who's to say those weren't the decisions that anyone else would make? It's it's such a tough call sometimes. It's true. That's very true. Now, um, I I was thinking as you guys were doing your anniversary show and I was listening to it and I was thinking of what were my favorite moments from things that you covered. And, and the episode I probably listened to six or seven times is the one where you guys cover the Kevin Sullivan, um, uh, Chris Benoit, like, like, ECW style hardcore match where they go into the bathroom and that is one of the funniest oh, things. Ninety-six, I believe. Oh my god, one of the funniest things ever. You guys covering them going into the bathroom. I I thought that was so funny. 
And not only that, but, it, you know, just talking about how that is clearly them keeping an eye on ECW and working that kind of thing into the show, which, you know, obviously happened quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, they had all spent time there. Uh, everyone, you know, in that angle, woman spent time in ECW. Sullivan did. Benoit did. Um, and Sullivan, you know, definitely kept an eye, an ongoing eye on there, um, just as part of his, you know, runoff, or excuse me, back office duties with WCW, you know, scouting and that kind of thing. So I think it's interesting, we talk about this a little in our recap episode, uh, eventually WWF and WCW are going to borrow so much from ECW, uh, and it's interesting to see that WCW is really the one who was smart enough to start stealing first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, um, the other person I wanted to talk about a little bit is it somebody that when I see him on the screen, and, and I don't think I really appreciated this person until I started watching the Nitros, and that's Mean Gene Okerlund is like the MVP of any, every show he's on. I mean, not only does he show up 50 times per show, uh, you know, because he has to interview everybody, but I mean... Right. His facial expressions while he's giving an interview are just more entertaining most of the time than the interview itself, especially the stuff with Macho Man, you know, and and Ric Flair, of course. But, uh, man, uh, tell me a little bit about how you've come to respect Mean Gene by watching this stuff, and maybe you did before, but some of your favorite Mean Gene moments. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a huge Mean Gene fan. Um, I don't think he's from here, here being Minnesota. Uh, but he spent significant time here. The AWA is really kind of where he started making a name for himself before Vince kind of plugged, uh, sucked him up. Uh, so I've always been a huge Mean Gene fan. I like anyone that came through the AWA, came through Minnesota. Uh, he still has a, a lake house here, so I know he still spends time in the state. I'm actually going to meet him uh, in July at an indie event uh, in Duluth, Minnesota that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, him, Bischoff, Nash, Hall, X-Pac, they're all going to be there. Oh, my so, God. Uh, but you're right. He, I mean, Mean Gene could be argued is the star of Nitro. He certainly has his face plastered on it more than anyone else. Uh, I've loved his interactions. He's had a couple with Juventud Guerrera recently who just made his debut. He tried to interview Juve in one episode, uh, didn't get far because of the language barrier, and he just gave up and kind of was sick about it, to be honest. Uh, and then the episode that Dave and I just recorded this morning that I've not edited yet, uh, there's a moment where Juve loses a match, and then Mean Gene is in the aisle interviewing Nick Patrick, and uh, Hoovy just walks behind him, like, on his way back to the dressing room, and Mean Gene can't just let it go without, like, a passive-aggressive remark about how Hoovy's just wandering around in the background. Uh, so I'm really, I'm hoping that that relationship continues to develop, because I'm enjoying, that's maybe my favorite feud on Nitro right now, hey. is Hoovy uh, Guerrera. And Mean Gene Okerlund. I mean, Mean Gene is so funny, man. I mean, he is just, he has the driest humor of anybody ever, but he is just a straight-up stand-up comedy uh, comedian. And and he reminds me of an older time, like an older, like like one of those um, broadcasters that, that transitioned from radio to television. You know, that that's what he reminds me of, is one of those kind of just smart-ass guys that, you know, I, I can't think of a name of somebody like that, but I mean, George Burns, you know, like somebody like that, you know, that's that's come uh, from way back then and has that old school kind of technique, if you will, you know, um, but uh, I love yeah, mean Gene, mean Gene and, and Bobby Heenan, I think, are two guys that are like A-plus entertainers that happen to work in wrestling. Um, I think now 
Like when you watch these shows, uh, these old Nitros or, or their earlier WWF work, I think it really shows how weak that bench is in WWE these days. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people say, and, and I don't watch a ton of current day WWE, just kind of the big pay-per-views and once in a while a Raw if I'm kind of feeling up to it. Um, but everyone says, you know, Corey Graves is the, the new Bobby Heenan. And Corey Graves is really good, don't get me wrong. But he, he can't hold a candle to Bobby Heenan. Uh, just the level of, like, I mean, Bobby Heenan could walk out on a stage and be, like, the best stand-up you ever saw, at least in the time and place in which he was, you know, doing his, his stuff. Um, me and Gene Okerlund, same way. They could just go captivate an audience in anywhere, any room full of people those guys could captivate. Uh, and I don't think there's anyone going in, in any company these days that's anywhere close uh, to their level when it comes to those things. Yeah, I mean, the only person that would be kind of trying to do that gimmick nowadays, and I think he does it so much that it's actually getting a little old, and that's Don Callis. You know, Don Callis is on New Japan, and, and I guess now yeah. not on Impact, but I don't watch Impact. But I guess he's, uh, you know, he's really, really laying that stuff on, on thick, which is fun, yeah. but it's a little too much sometimes. It's kind of like, all right, bro, you're not Bobby Heenan, so you can't, you're, you're too smart for your own good a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I, his color commentary is pretty good. I, he makes it about himself a little too much for me, um, but, I, you know, he's, he's not bad, and uh, I, he doesn't. I don't know. It, it does sometimes with New Japan. I'd rather just put on the Japanese commentary and just sort of, I just ignore it. It just fades into the background, and you just get more of a mood based on how much those guys are screaming. You know? mm. uh, I like the, <laughs> I like how that's acceptable as commentary. A few times, you'll just hear hi, yeah. hi, and then. <laughs> I'm just not a Kevin Kelly fan either. I think technically he's fine. It's not anything he's doing. There's just um, of a believability factor that is missing for him. I can't take him. He always feels like a guy playing a play-by-play announcer rather than a genuine play-by-play announcer. I think he's got everything but the voice. That's the problem. Is that, he he yeah. doesn't have the voice. And so, like, you know, I love Kevin Kelly. I met him one time at a Ring of Honor show. He was tremendous. Great guy. The things he does for wrestling behind the scenes, people have no idea about. It, it's really? pretty awesome. Um, you know, he, he's one of those guys that, um, even though he's not doing commentary on new Japan, he'll be up at the time new Japan is live tweeting it and all that kind of stuff. I mean, all that kind of stuff he does. Um, and he's clearly a humongous fan. So I have a lot of respect for him because he's one of the only announcers nowadays that actually does research. I don't know of any other announcer that actually does research, but he knows what he's talking about. Um, sure. You know, a little too much sometimes. You know, with with some of the some of the kind of kayfabe shattering thing that's things that they do in New Japan. But I, I really enjoy New Japan. Have you been watching that at all lately? Is that something you've been watching the Super Juniors at all? Uh, I have not, strictly because time doesn't allow me to. Sound <laughs> like an insult. It's really not intended to be. Not to you personally. No, it's it's law. It's like every day there's matches. It's hard to follow, you know. Yeah, the the most New Japan I watch is I put it on as I go to bed, uh, and it it's not that it's like it lulls me to sleep. It's just I've gotten in this habit of putting it on on my iPad as I go to bed, right, just kind of in front of me, uh, and it takes me like two weeks to watch one match because I'm only getting like six minutes and I'm falling asleep. <laughs> Uh, and some of their matches, and not really the Super Junior stuff, but some of the you know bigger Okada, Mega matches, Tanahashi stuff, 
those matches can be so long that sometimes it takes me like a month to watch one of these big matches. And then it's tough for me to say, like, if it's as great as everyone says, because I watched it. In these yeah, it's stuff. impossible um, to tell at that point. As far as, like, just the presentation of, of in-ring wrestling, New Japan is the closest thing uh, to, like, a style that I really enjoy right now. It's pretty good. You know, I, I really enjoy it as well. Uh, Best of Super Junior is a great tournament. Um, it's not one that I will watch every match of. G1, yeah. I will watch every match of. And the reason is, is because um, the Super Junior stuff is awesome. But, it, you know, sometimes I guess it's just that I don't like it as much as I like the heavyweights for some reason. I don't know why. You know, um, I guess there's no Ishii in the Super Junior. You know what I mean? So right. I, I, it, I find that the Super Junior style is much more American. And the the uh, G1 heavyweight style is much more Japanese, and that's why I'm watching Japanese wrestling. You know, I thought it was really funny <clears throat> when everybody freaked out a couple years ago because they saw Will Ospreay versus Ricochet, and <clears throat> which was an American indie, uh, American British indie style match in New Japan, right. which is kind of what they do in the Super Junior tournament a lot. And I thought it was weird that everybody was freaking out about it because I was like, have you ever watched New Japan? Because, I mean, it's like all of the matches are like this except for the heavyweight matches, and those are even crazier sometimes. So I found it shocking that everyone was, like, just discovering that they do flippy shit in Japan, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think I think what really separates the G1 is that there's more variety, whereas I feel like the Super Juniors, all those guys, all those guys work a somewhat <clears throat> style. Whereas in the G1, you're going to have your pianos. You know, you're going to have people that are giving you something completely different from what Nokata gives you. And then you've got a guy in there like, let's say, Ibushi, who's almost giving you the junior heavyweight thing, too. So really, you're just you're getting so many more flavors. Uh, and I really think that's that's what a great wrestling show is, is giving you, you know, those, the variety. I think any great wrestling show in history has been about giving you variety. Uh, back to Nitro, that's when Nitro was working the best. Is when you had your, your cruiserweights, your luchadors, your weird stuff, your NWO, um, your big Haas guys like the Steiners. You know, when they were giving you a little bit of everything, that's when it was really at its peak. Yeah, I think we even had an epiphany together once about, I think it was Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis or something. And uh, I made some tweet about, like, uh, you know, that this was this was the junior heavyweight style that we see on the indies now back then, you know, and that it's, you know, that's why I love psychosis so much because he reminds me of so many of the indie guys that I see all the time, you know, that, that, uh, that do all that crazy shit. Although nobody's doing the leg, you know, the top rope leg drop to the floor these days though. So I can't believe he still is walking, let alone wrestling, which I, I don't know if he's at a match this year, but I believe he did last year. And that's just been, that's crazy, man. Um, now, now, you have a lot of insanity in store for you, my friend. Um, you know, Nitro is going to get crazy on levels that you don't even understand. I mean, we were just talking the other day about this amazing tag team that's coming up. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, what is it? It's Armstrong, Brad Armstrong, your favorite wrestler in the world. Oh, yeah. And he's tagging yeah. with, uh, with Mike Rotundo, your other favorite wrestler in the world. So, um, yeah. Things get real boring and they get real crazy all at the same time. Are you looking forward to all that? I'm really looking for. It's going to be tougher, I think, week to week. Um, I think if you step back and you say, like, you just say some of the ideas, it sounds like, oh boy, that's going to be really funny. But when you're sitting down and you're watching 
20 weeks in a row of Russo booked WCW Nitro, that might get old pretty quick. Um, right now, I think we've been really blessed because even a bad Nitro in 1996 is not that bad. And and, and an important thing to note, it's only two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to get worse and longer at the same time. And that's that's really going to start to play havoc on our minds, I think. Yeah, I just watched a uh, episode of Nitro from 2000 where we had we had um, the Kiss Demon, which you got that to look forward to, uh, tagging with Vampiro and the Great Muda versus, and these guys have nothing to do with each other. They're not in a storyline together. They're just they're just in a match versus the Young Dragons, and it in the segment is about twenty minutes because the match starts, it gets thrown out. And then somebody comes out and interrupts. And then, you know, basically Sting comes out. He interrupts. And then before he can leave, Scott Steiner comes out and he interrupts. You know, and it's like it's like it's the most overbooked shit in the world. And yeah. meanwhile, the match didn't even, like, happen, basically. The match was, like, three minutes, you know. And, uh, and that's the thing that kind of sucks is that uh, in the future, the good wrestling is going to be few and far between. You're going to see folks like Mike Awesome get squandered. You know, uh, you're going to see folks like Lance Storm kind of bring a little bit of a, 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 you know, a bright spot, but also get squandered. I mean, it's going to be rough, man. I, I'm looking forward to hearing you guys suffer. Yeah, I've been listening to uh, another Nitro podcast, a much bigger, more popular one than ours, uh, Keep It 2000. Very good, I yeah. watch 2000 era Nitros, uh, and boy, is it like an ominous sign of things to come to hear them describe this thing. We really never, uh, not to just review the shows and, and talk about them and be humorous, but I really try to do like a lot of research. I try to really make it like a factual historical accounting. Um, so just the idea of spending like 12 hours of my life producing a podcast episode about, you know, Dave Arquette, world <laughs> champion, it's going to be something else. It's really going to be the quote from that show from their intro is like it's like you know Vince Russo going and last week I proved bro that any time right. I could be the WCW champion and it's like and then they have Hogan saying you know it's bullshit like this that means that, you know makes this company the way right. it is that is tremendous I love that every time I never skip through that intro song just so I can hear that because I, I when I think of Vince Russo I always think of him telling. I think it's I think it's um, uh, Rena. What's her name? Sable. I think it's Sable that uh, he's telling to sell the back, sell the back, sell the back. So bad you can't even like it's like you can't even move, bro. And that's it. That's on uh, Beyond the Mat. He's there, you know, during some backs. Or maybe it's um, maybe it's uh, 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 wrestling with shadows. It's one of those two. But uh, I always think of him. But man, um, yeah. So so far, you just got Eric Bischoff to deal with. You don't have. Uh, Vince Russo, and then you don't have both. <laughs> that's the problem. Right. <laughs> Jeez. Right. And luckily, you know, that's meant that I only have to listen to, like, Eric Bischoff and Tony Schiavone's podcast. I don't have to listen to uh, Russo's, you know, BS. Yeah. But we're going to get to the point where I'm going to, because I know Russo's written a couple books, and I think at least one of them covers his time in WCW. So at some point, I'm going to have to pay for Vince Russo's book and then read <laughs> I am not looking forward to that. Well, I wonder if if it's in his own voice, you should do a bro count, you know, and just see how many bros that you get in there, you know, because uh, that would be tremendous. But uh, yeah, well, I, I, 
I bought from eBay uh, from from him uh, a signed a couple of signed WWF magazines from back in the day, and uh, we just I bought them on eBay. He was having a bunch of trouble figuring out PayPal. I had paid him, but he didn't know that I had, and I was trying to explain to him how to use PayPal to like see that I paid him. And finally, they arrive and like written a personal note to go with it. Um, and it seemed like he was under the impression that like I was really honored that they came from him instead of <laughs> one of them is audi- it's a WWE magazine autographed by The Undertaker and Paul Bearer. And like who wouldn't want that, you know? Um, and the fact that they made out their autographs to Vince Russo just makes it funnier, if anything. <laughs> the other one I have is is uh, maybe even funnier considering how much those two don't like each other. I have uh, one that Bret Hart signed for Vince Russo. <laughs> Uh, and it's a cover. It's a cover too, where Bret Hart's in a cowboy outfit because uh, the article is about how he filmed Lonesome Dove, the TV show from back in the day. Uh, so yeah, so I somewhere around here I, I have a note from Russo, and uh, and I actually emailed him because when we were corresponding about the PayPal stuff, and I asked him, I said, "Did you guys actually interview the wrestlers for the interviews in the magazine?" Or because you were already the writers, did you just write their responses in character for them? And he wrote back that uh, the other writers would just make up the stuff. But then he wrote, but I swear to God that I would actually try to seek out the talent myself. And I was like, wow, he writes exactly as well. <laughs> that is awesome, man. Wow. Um <laughs> Well, I can't wait to uh, hear more about, you know, interactions with him in the future. Now, you've also have interactions with Eric Bischoff. In fact, you busted Eric Bischoff, right? Tell us a little bit about this. This is awesome. Yeah, so on his first podcast, uh, what was it? Uh, Bischoff on Wrestling. Uh, he, you know, they would take some fan questions. And around the time when we covered the debut of the NWO, we did a, a huge episode on Bash the Beach. And since that was the first time that the New World Order was mentioned, uh, I, you know, wanted to do some research on where that name came from. Now, in Eric's book, he says that it came to him the day of the pay-per-view, sudden burst of inspiration, just a lightning bolt out of the blue, right? Uh, Well, in watching these Nitros, I knew that that wasn't true because two weeks before Bash at the Beach, uh, Larry Zbysko uses the exact phrase New World Order on Nitro. So I figure at the very least, Bischoff is misremembering. He came up with it earlier, and he just thought it was a better story that he came up with a day off. So on Twitter, <laughs> I remember I asked his uh, co-host back at the time, you know, I you know, asked him to send that question, and they read on the show, and Bischoff did his what he does every time, uh, where he bullshits and says, like, that's how I remember it. If somebody has proof, like, let me see the proof. So I went back on the network, and I filmed it with my phone. And I sent him, I tweeted him a video of Larry clearly saying it two weeks before. And uh, then he was like, yeah, I guess you got me. And (laughs) the thing that hit me is on his new podcast, the much bigger, higher profile one he's doing with Conrad Thompson. uh, Conrad asked him about just coming up with it on the fly, just reading, you know, from his book. And and I know Conrad's just a fan and and, um, he's got a day job and all that stuff. But it kind of bothered me that he didn't even do the research of, like, listening to Bischoff's old podcast. So he kind of let Bischoff slide on it by, you know, and Bischoff just went back to his original version of the story. Uh-huh. Uh, so now every time I'm listening to Bischoff's podcast, and he's talking about how 
Bret Hart is somebody who's told himself the same story over and over to the point where he believes it. I'm just thinking, like, you're no different, mm-hmm. Eric. Like, told yourself this version of how you came up with the name. Uh, he's no more trustworthy than anyone else, uh, even if he does <laughs> a really good job of presenting himself as like a logical, reasonable, measured person. Uh, but I think he's every bit a carny bullshitter as you know anyone else in this industry. You know, the only wrestler that isn't one that I know that I believe everything he says is X Pac. He's the only one. Like, he's the only one. Everybody else is completely full of shit. He doesn't care, and he tells the truth no matter what. And, like, that's the – like, he's the guy. Everybody else is completely full of crap, Um, you know, from Kevin Nash down – go ahead. Sorry. No, he's so trustworthy. Minnesota guy. It's, oh, that's what it is? Okay. Gotcha. Minnesota guy. Well – Although so is Eric, so what am I talking about? <laughs> Well, him and, uh, you know, um, uh, Greg Gagne, I guess, right, you know? but uh... Uh, Yeah, Bishop. Hey, Hogan came through here. Ric Flair was raised here. What was the name of the uh, of um, Greg Gagne's dad's, like, workout thing that he did? You know what I'm talking about? It's on the network. It's, I do, but I couldn't, I don't remember. It's like tentanabulations or some weird word like that, you know? But, uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that's awesome stuff. Now... You also had the opportunity to uh, interview a guy named Neil Pruitt, who is, uh, you know, kind of a backstage guy there at uh, at um, uh, Nitro. Tell me a little bit about that dude. Yeah, so Neil Pruitt was a backstage producer uh, for Nitro, I believe their entire run. Um, he has his own podcast called, I believe it's called Secrets of Nitro uh, with Neil Pruitt. I hope I got that title right. Um, that he hosts, he does with a guy named Guy Evans, who actually wrote a big book that's coming out on WCW that I'm interested to read. Um, so to kind of promote the podcast, and I think in turn the book, they reached out to me and asked, would you like to interview Neil Pruitt? And uh, I'm not somebody who's done interviews before, but I try to put together a list of logical questions. And, you know, it. Uh, I wanted to kind of respect his time, and we talked for an hour, but I could have I talked to that guy for another six hours. Just a real interesting guy with some great stories. Um, you sort of have this idea, and I don't know if you've experienced this with anyone like Lanny Poffo, and it seems like you kind of alluded to it earlier. You have this idea, like, I'm going to ask him these tough questions and get to the bottom of, like, these big stories. And then um, I remember early on in our conversation, he told a story about Hogan, uh, like, signing autographs outside a hospital or something like that, um, just where he saw Hogan being, like, such a great guy for all these kids. And I realized, like, okay, there's no way I can ask him, like, a tough question. <laughs> know what i mean like he had personal interactions with this guy he's seen hogan make a difference in the life of like a sick child i can't just be like hey i know you just met me and i'm some asshole from the internet but give me all the insights (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a difficult balance sometimes to you know between being someone who's an interviewer and being a human being i i can understand that yeah i I try not to ask any tough questions. In, in fact, that's kind of got me over with some people that have dark pasts because I don't ever ask oh. about that. You know what I mean? I'm always like, well, what, what's going on now? You know what I mean? So uh, that kind of thing can also be uh, fun. Now, um, you guys laugh a lot on the show. You find a lot of humor in, in this stuff because, I mean, something as simple as, you know, a silly botch in a mat, in a, you know, a move in a match or, 
an angle that just doesn't go anywhere. I remember Dave Amantorp, uh, you know, I was listening to that uh, episode, the recap episode for the year, and he was talking about his worst promo, which was a Lex Luger promo, where he challenged Sting to a match, Sting accepted, and then he was like, whoa, 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 let's make this more interesting, you know, and started to stack up the stakes, even though he'd already <laughs> accepted the match. Yeah, What's yeah. your favorite stupid moment from uh, from Nitro where shit just didn't make sense or or something just made you laugh and you couldn't control yourself? Yeah, um, one that we didn't talk about on our uh, recap episode that I remember that I thought was great, where I kind of saw what they were going for, but it, no part of it worked, is uh, in the fall of 95, or maybe kind of leading into winter, uh, Hulk Hogan was sort of dabbling with the dark side. Now, he wasn't a bad oh, yeah. He was sort of dealing with uh, darker themes than the characters normally kind of known for it. Um, so he was dressing all in black, and there was one promo he did from his own sort of birth dungeon of doom, uh, where he was in like a dank cave, and there was a uh, like a foam headstone with a fake rat that was like rolling around on it. Had a Zorro mask and like dirt uh, smeared across his face. And he did this like growling promo about the dark side, and he was holding a sword, and there was just so much going on where. And thought like, what are all the spooky, scary things I can buy? Um, and so it, it seemed like someone was trying very hard, but it just came across as so hokey and terrible. Uh, it that was it just made me laugh just thinking about that promo. Uh, that was like I it was a real highlight. It was just watching that promo and just getting to share how silly that was <laughs> with everyone. Well, Hulk Hogan in general. Um, it does a lot of silly things, you know, every once in a while he has a headband just in a weird place, you know, kind of across his face or something. Um, you know, he's just dressed strangely. Um, he was clearly backstage, like all fucked up and he's like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to grab this jacket and put this on, you know? Uh, and, and it's, it's obvious, you know, but, um, his interaction with me and Gene obviously is tremendous. And, and, uh, I love those promos every time. Um, but, uh, so so what's the funniest moment, though? What's the moment that's made you laugh the hardest that every time you think of it, it's like, man, what are they doing? Like, what is this? That's such a – it's – okay, so the funniest it, – it's very early on in the run, but it is the Yeti uh, bursting out of his block of ice. Um, you've got this big plastic block of ice sitting there all nitro. You've got the master who we've only ever really seen – uh, on videotape to that point, usually on like promos on Saturday night or vignettes, not promos. Uh, and then all of a sudden, one nitro, the master is live. He's like kind of propped up uh, high above most of the crowd. He's doing his bellowing promos to Kevin Sullivan. He brought him the Yate from the Sherpas of the Himalayas. And then right at the very end of the show, plastic bursts open and out comes a Yeti who is for whatever reason a mummy, which it's just so insane that anyone thought that a Yeti could just be a really tall mummy. Uh, it bursts out just screaming, and that's where the show ends. And it ends, I'm like, that's a cliffhanger. They thought you were going to see that out, and you were going to be so scared and so uh, that you were going to order that pay-per-view six days later, because that was the go-home show for Halloween Havoc that year. So that's your, that's your final moment to sell your pay-per-view is the mummy bursting out of a block of plastic ice uh, heading into Halloween Havoc. Plop down your, you know, 20, your 1999 or whatever. 
I just, I can't believe that made it through uh, any kind of like producer or editor. No one at any point said, what are we doing? Guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, drugs are a hell of a drug, man. You know? So <laughs> I think that that's the, that's the answer to that question. The same people that were, uh, you know, uh, giving the power were also the ones making the decisions going, yep, that's cool. Sounds good to me. Right. You, Kevin Sullivan, you're a wrestling guy. You must know what's up, you know? Um, if you've ever listened to his podcast, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but I guess I am a little. If you, you know, I, I had to stop listening to it because I couldn't, I, I, I just, it got, it stuck in my crawl that he would just say, you know what I mean? Like 50,000 times in a sentence. And I am someone who, as a broadcast type person, I do my very best not to say, um, and you know, and, and things of that nature, if I can avoid it, it does happen, obviously. But uh, it's interesting how he says, you know what I mean? Like, after anything that he means, yeah. he says that. <laughs> it's just brutal. It's crazy because, so, you know, I try to listen to a lot of his podcasts because he actually walks through these Nitro episodes. Oh, yeah. Like, someone where I'm trying to get as much history and backstage information as I can. So, but it's crazy to me because it's behind a paywall. So, I'm paying for his show where he will just take a phone call from someone else in the middle of a show that I'm paying to listen to. And I think of all the work that I go through into editing my free podcast that I don't make a penny off of and how much work I strain to make it sound as professional and as well-produced as possible. And then just to think of all the stuff that I pay for that is sounds like horseshit and how the people putting the time into it clearly gave half of um, the amount of crap that I care about my show. And it's like, what are we doing? Like, how inverse, you know, is the relationship between, like, these guys that, you know, be, and, and I get it. They, you know, he put that show together. So people are probably going to want his insight more than they're going to want mine. But it's just like, I wish, uh, I, I want to be the Conrad Thompson for the guys like Kevin Sullivan. I want to just professionally produce some of these guys. <laughs> a phone call in the middle of episodes. And uh, that guy that co-hosts with him just lets it go. And I'm like, what? Why aren't you mentioning this to him, or at least editing it out after the fact? Yeah, MSL, I've had some interaction with him, but he's real reclusive. And him and Kevin Sullivan, um, you know, I've written into their show several times. They've only read it, like, once or twice. And he always edits it heavily and, like, just, like, asks the question and, like, cuts everything else out. And it's like, hey, man, you know I, – I, I know that you have done a good job of, of kind of shouting out listeners, especially me, which uh, makes me very happy uh, on your show. And, uh, you know, when folks do stuff for you, it's nice to kind of give them recognition and show them a little bit of respect. Um, if, yeah. I, if I have to listen to um, Stone Cold talking about going to Trader Joe's and not being able to find a parking spot one more time, um, actually, I quit listening to that show because of that bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like, it's frustrating, uh, you know, sometimes the uh, unprofessionalness that happens in other podcasts. Although, if you've listened to my show, we're about as unprofessional as it gets. But, you know what? The, uh, the business part we do, it's, you know, it's going to be on time. It's going to be, you know, a certain length. It's going to be all these things, you know. But you guys, the amount of work, how long does it take you to edit a show once you've recorded it? Your episodes end up about two hours, 15 minutes, and I'd say to edit that, just the editing process takes me probably three to four hours at least. Um, you know, the research part I spend probably, before I sit down and watch an episode, I probably spend 
I'd say safe to say anywhere from 90 minutes to like two and a half hours kind of just getting notes, especially if it's an episode that has debuts because then I'm trying to get a date. I want to give a bio of a guy that's not just reading Wikipedia, you know, because anyone, anyone can do that. Um, so, you know, writing the bios, we have a segment where we kind of summarize the observer from that week and kind of what's going on in the world of wrestling from that period of time. Observe uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love it. It's awesome. Yeah. I made a little theme song it's for so it. so great. <laughs> Um, so, you know, re- like realistically, I think by the, if you consider all the work before the show, recording the show, taking my notes and, and editing it, I think an average episode takes probably about 15 hours to produce, um, which is why, like I said, I'm so glad we're not a weekly podcast. <laughs> and we've sacrificed, we've definitely, I think we would be a much more popular show because I, you pointed out when it comes to like putting things out on time. I think um, you can get by. Uh, I think you can grow a fan base um, a lot just by being reliable. Like people know that every Friday this podcast is going to come out, and I'm going to listen mm-hmm. to it. We've really thrown that to the wind. We can come out any day of the week. Uh, it can be like three or four weeks before you hear from us, and then all of a sudden, like we did this uh, a couple weeks ago, we put out four episodes in one weekend. Um, we really just try like we've sacrificed that aspect of it and we only are trying to achieve quality. That's the only thing we really care about anymore. And um, luckily we've still kind of tended to grow with listenership, albeit slowly. Uh, This is uh, on track to be, I mean, it already is. This is the month we've had the most listens of any uh, other month of our show. So we're still, you know, we're still collecting listeners and it's largely thanks to, you know, fans like you that have uh, retweeted us and gotten, you know, the word out there and, you, you're definitely the first person I can remember that kind of reached out and was like, hey, I listen to this. I, I actually am enjoying the show. and uh, That always has really meant a lot because if you're just doing this and you never get any feedback, you have no idea if anyone's listening. You get the little number on SoundCloud or whatever app you use, but you can never really believe it until you actually start getting some emails, some tweets, some Facebook messages, and, and those just like mean the world to me and Billy. It's really important, especially with somebody who puts as much work into it as you have. Earlier, you mentioned OSW Review. You also mentioned uh, the New Generation Era Pod Project podcast, which is very difficult to say, um, which are both shows that I absolutely love. But yeah. you guys all do same kind of similar format, but I like yours better. I always have, and like I, I just. For some reason, I just like uh, your guys. What you guys find funny is the same things I find funny, and sure. so yeah. that's kind of that's why I've always liked the show. Is because when you guys are talking about a Lex Luger match, and I've watched that match, I'm just like yeah. I'm thinking. You guys are saying the things I'm thinking about how stupid it was that he did this, or he sold like an idiot, or whatever the case may be. You know, right. um, he almost killed a guy, or whatever it was. But um, you know, it's one of those things where. Um, you know, that, that's something that was a big deal to me. And I always have always tried to interact with the folks that you're either the people I'm fans of, or just any of the podcasts in general. Um, we, you know, there were three podcasts that I listened to that I found right away when I first started getting into wrestling podcasts. And one of them was the steel cage, which is kind of shit the bed, honestly. Uh, and, uh, then smart wrestling fan, which I still listen to to this day. And then 20 years of nitro. And uh, that came a little later on, but once I found you, then I started to get much more into WCW. And and as a fan, when I was a kid, I watched WCW 
in 99, well, like 98 through 99, I watched them on the 3 a.m. like replay, you know, like every night because I worked this late night job, right? And so I watched all that shit. And I remember, you know, uh, ICP being in, you know, that and like all this stupid shit that happens. But also in high school, I watched it ironically, like with friends, you know, on Monday nights. And I remember we were watching the night that uh, Scott Hall showed up and and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't really understand the significance. Something that is also, I'm meandering a little bit, but something also that I'd like to thank you for is helping me categorize, to borrow a, a phrase from you, um, the uh, and understand the Monday Night Wars, as you call it, um, and, and what the significance of that is. Because I think that story has so much depth and like layers that people don't realize about the North versus South thing, you know, that yeah. is insane. Can you kind of run that down for us real quick? And then we'll kind of, you know, start, start to wrap this up a little bit. Yeah. I think you really see it with, um, it kind of goes back to that period I was talking about with Hogan, um, where he was dabbling with the dark side. And it kind of comes down to the fact that the Hulk Hogan character was not working. Um, and you hear the sort of version they tell of that now through the WWE is that the character was tired and was just no longer working. Well, that's not exactly true. The character wasn't working in what we like to kind of refer to now as horseman country. Um, you know, the Carolinas, the Georgia, Alabama, those areas where uh, there was a lot of resentment towards the WWE, where kind of emanating out of Atlanta, there had always been wrestling. Um, and then when WWE took over that time slot on TBS for a while uh, and was just putting out like um, old matches, repackaged stuff, and people were really upset that Georgia Championship Wrestling and stuff had been taken off TBS. And so when JCP, uh, was when Jim Crockett Promotions was sold to Ted Turner and WCW kind of got started in earnest, I think there were a lot of people that were really satisfied to have this alternative uh, and then as it rolled into the sort of the Monday night thing, people really dug in. And, and you know, brand loyalty uh, is a big deal in this country. You know, you're a Coke or a Pepsi person. You're a McDonald's or a Burger King person. Maybe not so much anymore. I think Burger King is – I don't know how many Burger King people there. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and so the amount of people I think that and, – and to have that rivalry, especially where one company is from New York, the cosmopolitan, metropolitan capital of the country, uh, where you know everyone's a Manhattanite who's looking down on the roofs in South Carolina, you know, and so for them, the people of South Carolina have their own wrestling that they treasure, that they look at as a sport and not as uh, puffed-up steroid guys like the Warlord out there, you know, just making a mockery of everything. Here. Uh, so I think that then you go into the Monday Night Wars where they're in direct competition and people really, really bled these two companies. And I think, uh, unfortunately, the version of the story that gets told now, history is written by the winners. Uh, everyone sees the WWE version of that story, which is uh, the NWO was kind of cool. They bumbled around for a while. Then they fucked everything up. Then they kind of had Goldberg, but then they screwed that up, too. And then they just went out of business. Oh, and also DX was awesome. And DX was <laughs> <laughs> won the war right right that's their revisionist history version of it so it's been really fun to actually go through and see no the reason why wcw is winning yes the nwl nwo helped but nitro is flat out a much better show than raw in 1996 
Uh, I'm guessing that's going to hold true for most of 1997. A lot of stuff starts changing with uh, Shawn Michaels and, and Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So certainly as we roll on to 1998, I think anyone, uh, you know, wrestling fan kind of knows where that's headed. But uh, the truth behind why Nitro was winning for 83 weeks in a row is so much more than Goldberg and the NWO. There were so many things about that show that really made it a better, more significant product at the time. Uh, and it's really why we're still talking about it today instead of just saying, like, that's old and buried and done. Uh, you know, there was 99 and there was 2000, and those were, were rough years, but there were so much good that came uh, before those years, and, and it's been really fun to talk about that. It's really sad that at some point our show is just going to jump off a cliff instead of, like, starting low and ending on a high note. <laughs> All the good stuff out of the way early, which is an interesting way to tackle it. Yeah, you're going to have to uh, look long and hard to find the good in the future. But it's there, you know what I mean? And and even though um, Rey Mysterio may not have a mask and he may have spikes coming out of his head and weird shit like that, he's still a good wrestler. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of that stuff to, that you have to look forward to as well. But, um, man, uh, the other thing, too, the other kind of uh, deep onion uh, layer thing that I was talking about earlier as well is just the NWO in general and what that represented. A lot of people don't realize that people legitimately thought that those guys worked for the WWE, you know what I mean? And that's something that is WWE's kind of glossed over that as well in the history is that, you know, it appeared as though they were invading WCW, you know? Yeah, there was the very clear implication at the beginning uh, that that Nash and Hall were there on behalf of Vince. Um, they had sort of used, uh, WWF had at the time these skits, the Billionaire Ted skits, where they were making fun of Ted Turner and Hulk Hogan and the uh, the Nacho <laughs> Man. Was like, they're saying a silly hillbilly organization of washed-up stars uh, that was irrelevant and so, oh, where, I'm losing the plot somewhere. Okay, so then Nitro kind of started responding with some, le- I'm trying to remember how this all went down, because it was a few years to cover this. So Eric Bischoff started, like, sending letters that were kind of making fun of anything that WWF ever screwed up, and there was all this squabbling. So when, by the time Paul and Nash debuted and started using those skits, they, you know, when Hall shows up, his promo says, like, where's Scheme Gene? Where's Billionaire Ted? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're starting to use those skits that the WWF is, is using sort of against them by saying, like, okay, you guys have started this, pick this fight. You've been writing these letters. Uh, Eric Bischoff is out here giving spoilers. Us, Hat, Hall and Nash, are here to kind of, like, get our revenge. It very clearly was implied that they were from the WWF. So much so that Vince sued, and they had to go on the air and say, Bischoff had to ask are <laughs> employed by the WWF, and they both had to clearly answer the question no before they could just kind of move along with the rest of the you know that segment. Yeah, and uh, Scott, right, I feel like Scott Hall's like, no, Chico, I don't work for the WWF. I'm gonna slice you up. It's <laughs> awesome. The Nitro, the episode we recorded this morning, had kind of a moment where because they were so frightened by that lawsuit. Um, Bobby Heenan just accidentally calls Meng Haku in the middle of a match. Just a slip of the tongue, but he gets so flustered because he realizes that with their precarious legal situation, that's kind of a big deal. 
And then, like, two segments later, Bischoff has to apologize and make clear that Meng is under contract to WCW. He's not involved with any other wrestling organization. And you see just how much these guys had to walk in a tightrope for years afterward uh, because of kind of because of the Medusa uh, belt situation and because of uh, a lot of the implication that Hall and Nash were sent by Vince. God, that poor Medusa. You know, that's like that's one of the big tragedies is that there never was a woman's division like there just never was. And like, you know, she gave up so much to come and start that, and then they just never did anything. It was her versus Bull Nakano every pay-per-view forever, and then that's it, you know? So, um, you know, it's always great to see somebody tear up a motorcycle, but, I mean, you know, especially (laughs) especially one of them crotch rocket types, that's not a real bike, you know? So, uh, but, uh, yeah, man, I really enjoyed the Hog Wild episode uh, because, man, I've seen that pay-per-view like 20 times. And one of the things that always blows me away about watching that pay-per-view is how fucking dangerous the ring is and how they have it set up like on a hill, you know, and anything yeah. to the outside is going to kill you. <laughs> it's surrounded by gravel. It's insane. It's, it's such a setup. Like, this was a multi-million dollar company, and they're literally in a park on their pay-per-view. It's ridiculous. It's- because somebody likes motorcycles. <laughs> That's what makes it so fun, though, because Vince McMahon is so attuned to professional production that you just won't get weird stuff like that. And give me weird. Sometimes I want to see, I want to see a ring in the middle of a pool on spring break. Why the fuck not? Like, give it, you know. Uh, So I just love the weird, weird stuff that WCW would do like that. It's really a treat every time. There's an outdoor pay-per-view. There's Disney MGM tapings. All that stuff. I can't get enough of it. That's awesome. Well, you know, another thing, too, has been fun is uh, you tracking these tan fans, you know, um, that uh, keep showing up all over the place. And and it turns out that Bruce Gray, who's a wrestler in our area, knew who those guys were and kind of helped us identify them. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, yeah. He was the one who was tweeting in that conversation. He's a local pro wrestler. And he is a uh, encyclopedia of pro wrestling, and uh, he happens to know those people. So, because I guess they're kind of from, uh, you know, they would come to Columbus shows and stuff like that as well, which is right around our area. But, uh, but man, you know that that shit's so much fun, man. Um, I hate to do this to you because I feel like that, you know, this is demeaning. But at the same time, I feel like it'll be fun. Um, it's time for Mad Libs. Are we going to do WWE? Or are we going to do Total Divas Mad Libs? And do you know what? Total, Total Divas? Divas? All right, finally, someone chose Total Divas. People keep saying, I don't watch Total Divas, so I don't want to do that one. And it's like, well, you don't have to watch it. It's, it's, it's Mad no, Libs. I, so. I watch it. I watch, that's not even like a choice. How would I possibly not choose now, Total Divas Mad Libs? Anytime that I ask for an adjective, it can't be play, okay? We already know that joke, okay? So... Um, so the first one's going to be a place. And, and, the, and as I, I always preface this with, the more juvenile, the more stupid, the more disgusting, the better. So, Okay, toilet. Toilet, tremendous. That is a place. Um, we also need an adverb. Lustily. Lustily. Oh, my God. You're good at this. <laughs> we need a plural noun. But... This is great. Uh, yet another plural noun. 
Bazingas. Bazingas. Okay. What? Bazingas. What's a bazinga? Uh, like a woman's chest area, the bazingas. Oh, bazingas. Gotcha. Okay. Oh god, my wife's cousin just started watching as I said that. <laughs> it's fine. Now, how about a singular noun? Singular noun. Let's go with uh, tennis ball. Tennis I don't know why. Okay, that's those are the best ones. Um, and in a part of the body, clavicle. Okay. And an adverb. Yet another adverb. Uh, bouncily. Is that is that a real no. word? What's it? <laughs> no. No, all right. Uh, jiggly. Jiggly, okay. <laughs> How about an occupation plural? Uh, butt doctors. Butt doctors. <laughs> You're good at this. All right, so we need a verb. A, I'm just thinking, what would he <laughs> We need a verb. Boinked. Boinked, okay. And we need an adjective. It can't be play. Uh, blue. Blue, all right. And we also need a verb ending in I-N-G. Farting. Farting, tremendous. Um, we need another verb. Ran. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're run. <laughs> we, we're using ran, it's okay. And we got adjective. An adjective. Uh, Tall. Okay. And then one more noun, and then we're good. Walnuts. Walnuts. Okay. All right. So this one's called How to Become the Women's Champion. Not the Divas Champion, even though it's a total Divas uh, uh, Mad Lib. That's great. So you want to become a champion like Nikki or Paige? You've put in the work at toilet, trained lustily with your coaches. Spend time learning the butts down in NXT. Here's what else you're going to need to do. One, keep your friends close and your bazingas closer. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now that you're one step closer to being the champ, you're wearing a tennis ball on your clavicle. So proceed yep. jiggly. Get to know the superstars, announcers, <laughs> But doctors, especially the other team. <laughs> you never know who might want to get boinked during a match or, <laughs> or, or come to your rescue when you're in a blue situation. <laughs> Start farting like you're already champion. <laughs> if you ran the ran and talked the talk, other people will notice and treat you with tall respect. Uh, practice carrying around a walnut when, when you're alone at home. The bigger and more sparkly, the better. <laughs> That's it, man. So where can we find you on the internet? Where can we find you on – where can we find the podcast? What do we need to plug for Tim Root of the 20 Years of Nitro podcast? All right, well, you can check us out on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. Uh, we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. Uh, definitely a lot more active on Twitter than on Facebook. Um, the podcast available whenever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, anything you use, basically, we're there. 
Um, except for I think people are starting to do Spotify. I don't know if we're on Spotify. I don't know if you have to do something for that. So uh, anything but Spotify, I can guarantee. <laughs> And yeah, just definitely check us out. We think it's a lot of fun. I always warn people, if you really are going to check us out for the first time, try a more recent episode before you go back to the beginning, because the beginning, the audio, and just sort of our, we're just not quite there yet. So I think you need to like listen to a recent episode to figure out that we do kind of get our ducks in a row. <laughs> listen to those, because I, I can't listen to those early episodes. I've told Dave that when we finish, we're going back and like re-recording the first five episodes so that we can get them the way that I want them. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, do you have any questions for me? No, thank you so much. This has been an absolute privilege. Uh, it's always fun. I got to I, I gotta listen to your show more. It's always fun when I get a chance. I got just the kids, the podcasts, all the work, but it is so much fun. I think it's so great. Uh, that, like I was saying before, that it's tough to find like a niche when you're setting out to create a podcast. And I think you guys found such a smart one to cover like a hyper local indie scene. And I think, you know, I saw, uh, I can't remember what country it was. Was it Sweden that you were tweeting the other day that you had a listener in? And it just shows that when you enjoy what you're talking about, it doesn't matter if that person has ever been to a show in Kentucky or Dayton or Columbus, any of these places guys are going it's just fun to listen to people i think with podcasting people just want to feel like they're uh, you know you're sitting at it for a lot of people like me you're sitting at a desk you're working at a computer it's almost like you're hanging out with your friends while you're working i think that's something that you guys have achieved really well every time that i listen i feel that way uh so just congratulations to you because i sort of came you know like i said you were one of the first fans that i knew about on twitter and Seemed like you were just a big fan of like a lot of different podcasts and stuff. So to see you be so successful with your own, I think is really, really cool. Well, thank you. I planned it out very carefully, and uh, luckily things have worked out. Um, however, you never know. It could all come crashing down any moment. So you, know, you just got to keep trucking. But, uh, but I really appreciate it. And like I said you know, before, if it weren't for you guys, I would have never done what I did because you guys were a huge inspiration for us, um, for me personally. And like, just because of the simple fact that, you know, having conversations with you about like things like, I don't know how many people are listening really. And I, I, you know, and we're doing this and we're not getting any feedback really from people. And, and that's a tough thing. And that's made me want to give feedback and also to try to get feedback and whatnot. And, uh, you know, uh, just the support that I've had from you as well and, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's been awesome. And I can't thank you so much for the help. Uh, thank you enough for the, all the help that you've given me, uh, whether you know it or not. So, Well, thanks. That, that means a lot. And, uh, you know, when we got started, it was the guys like OSW and New Generation where, like, they were the reasons we got into it. And to hear that anyone got into the, the sort of content creation game or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> of us is just that's awesome and i'm sure that you guys have inspired other people to start off their projects yeah well it won't be long before i'm sending you a silly video of william regal doing something stupid and uh in the ring and something hilarious and uh you know we can commiserate over those things again in the future i'm sure but uh man thank you so much for joining me happy memorial day and i uh, hope uh, i wish you guys all the all the success in the world you know all right, thanks for your happy talking. No, well, hang on, hang on. Before you leave, can we get it? Can we get, you know, the the intro? Can we get it? <laughs> <laughs>
please. Welcome to where the big boys play. episode andy is joined by co-host of the 20 years of nitro podcast dave amator welcome to the road home from wrestling interview Here's a quick thank you to our sponsor, whatamaneuver.net. That's where you can go to find all your favorite Road Home From Wrestling merchandise. We have t-shirts, we have hoodies, we have baby onesies. Go to whatamaneuver.net and buy yourself one today. Joined by Dave Amatort from uh, 20 Years of Nitro. I've been listening to you for like I guess three years now. Is that the is that the amount of time you guys been around? Yeah, like last month was the three year anniversary, which you know it's uh, a little bit further than we're actually in uh, real life. So uh, I mean, for, as far as the show is concerned, we're like about a year into Nitro, but it's like three years of real life. So I think the pace has been okay. You know, <laughs> I know that I know that uh, that Tim sometimes gets kind of uh, I think he gets a little stressed out that we're not making more episodes. But, you know, it's like, you know, we're both, uh, we're all adults here. You know, we have other things we have to do. So, but uh, it's been fun so far. Just like, because a lot of these uh, shows I've seen before, I, I lived through them. Um, Tim did not see them, though, at the time, because he was more watching Monday Night Raw. So uh, it's really fun just kind of like seeing it like a first person, like the first reaction to someone like the Disco Inferno, for example. Um <laughs> I just, I just like going back, going back and seeing him. Yeah. He is, yeah, he is so great. And uh, and we and we met him at All In too. So um, Tim yeah. got his. Uh, he had like a a whole list. He had like twenty people or something like that that he saw. And a lot of them were. He's like he wanted to make sure he saw wrestlers that were around during like the Nitro times. So uh, Disco Inferno was one of them. He checked him off the list. 
Well, Tim seems to me, and I don't know him personally, I just know him from communicating, you know, much like I do yourself, you know, over these past mm-hmm. three years, he seems like a very organized individual, um, you know, to where he may have lists and notes and, you know, this has to go in this category and that has to go in that one and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can imagine yeah. that he had a list of people and checking them off and, uh, you know, well, crap, this person's not there. We got to reprint the list and get this person off and all yeah. kinds of stuff like that. But, uh, but we'll get to all in. Yeah. And all that stuff here in a minute. Um, <clears throat> let's talk a little. I want to just mention, you know, one of the fun things you're talking about with the dynamic there between you two is, you know, he does most of the research, or though it seems, you know, I know I, I'm not positive exactly mm-hmm. how you guys do that, but one of the fun things about it is hearing you give your impression on how it was like when you were watching it as you were younger as compared to what you're watching now and then him filling yeah. you in on things that you didn't know about and you doing the same for him that's a lot of fun mm-hmm. oh yeah absolutely and it just it, it's crazy just like the amount of uh, research that he does i mean cuz you're right like tim does 90% of the research that goes on in those shows uh, the, like wrestling observer, uh, different interviews. Like he's listened to Kevin Sullivan's podcast way more than he probably should, you know, <laughs> especially since it's like, I'm not positive that Kevin Sullivan remembers things exactly the right way, but, uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really fun. It, and like, like you're saying, like he's able to provide these like little tidbits and things like that, that I didn't know about. But, uh, I, I, I feel like that my part on the show is just, uh, is more like uh, how I remember it at the time, as far as like my reaction, or like I thought this wrestler was great, but end up they weren't that great, or like going back, for example, like Glacier has been a lot more entertaining than I remember back in the day. <laughs> just his presentation is just like it's off the charts, and 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 just he has a, he has this completely different like wrestling style. Yeah, it's like the like the like the sub zero kind of like stance and everything like that. So and that, that again, another person, but again, we will talk about all in in a little bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I just uh I just had the opportunity to see Glacier this weekend at Remix Pro, and um mm-hmm. it was a little sad. I you know, he was in a tag match and um he didn't okay, do okay. he didn't do any kicks, and when he did his entrance, he just walked out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He did the only thing that he did of the glacier entrance is he went up to the you know to the second rope and did the yeah you know that thing that was like the yeah. only thing that he did um and of course he did like the Ricky Steamboat shoot him off the ropes and you know the the you know double palm strike thing but that's about well, that was pretty much it um yeah it, it's a little sad so now um you know one of the things too that uh, I've loved about your show too is it's really funny and you guys have uh, a very like if you listen to your show with it just on in the background, it sounds like two very uh, professional gentlemen speaking about a, a very serious subject. But if you start to listen to what you're saying, it's some of the yeah. funniest shit I've ever heard. And I, I love <laughs> your guys' reactions to them, some of this stuff. Um, one of the things that has been my favorite thing, and unfortunately it's kind of you know in the background a little bit, is your guys' reaction to Ric Flair and woman and all that kind of stuff. Tell me a little bit about <laughs> Ric Flair and how much of a role he's played on the podcast? Oh man, it's. Uh, I mean, recently we had like our like year anniversary in which we kind of like gave out our awards and things like that. And from the beginning, I knew that like the first year, like Ric Flair made the show because there there's a lot of weeks, and I know that we say it ad nauseum that like 
oh, this this was not a really good Nitro, or like there was not really anything worth that was noteworthy except Ric Flair. You know, either either if he's in a match, he's just going to like he he'll just ham it up. Um, or when they had the um, like the 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 um, like the buffet, like that table that was at ringside for a few weeks, and he always was like going there, like eating fruit or just doing something, <laughs> just like off the top of his head. Um, most recent weeks, he he seems like he might. I, I think it's because he's injured, but he seems like he might be kind of phoning it in a little bit more than usual. But uh, no, it's just like going back and just reappreciating that Ric Flair was like so excellent at every aspect of of who he was, like. He lit like the. I feel like the moment that like he wakes up, he is the Nature Boy at all times. You know, it's, yeah. If they if they were like, oh, we need a promo. It's like, oh, is is Flair up? Is he awake right now? Let's just go to his room. Like he'll he'll, he'll get something. Well, whether he's, he's in. He's his, I mean, if he's in his hotel room or he's on a hospital gurney, you know, either way, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's just like. And you got to appreciate the fact, especially like after Hogan showed up and kind of like took a lot of his steam away. And like from moment one, it was like, listen, Rick, I know this this company is yours, but now you're being brought down a peg because now it's Hogan's show. I I can't remember if like the whole story was like that that Bischoff brought Flair with him in order to convince Hogan to go to WCW. I, I feel like it was a story like that where it's like, listen, Flair, like you're going to like help me. <laughs> make you the number two guy from now on <laughs> but it, that's just like Flair doesn't I, I feel like Flair doesn't really care as long as that is he is like if he has like a, a marquee matchup that's all that matters to him I and mean, he's making money that's what's important to him like well, and out if, there and entertaining the fans yeah and, and if he can take a bump for a ref every once in a while I mean that's kind of that's his bread and butter too is that you know one of the greatest yeah. things about about Ric Flair is that he he doesn't care to sell for anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. He's just going to like, you know, I mean, whether it's just going to the top rope for the 300,000th time to just get dropped, you know, dropped off or it's, right. you know, uh, Randy Anderson beating the crap out of him in the middle of a match. You know, I, it's just, he's just so great, man. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, it's been awesome hearing you talk about Ric Flair, obviously, um, you know, the NWO is kind of the uh, the focus of Nitro right in the particular area that you're at. What is yeah. your what's your favorite memory of something that maybe you haven't seen yet or something that you remember from when you were a kid when you were watching about the NWO? Oh, um, I think. Uh, well, just for starters, I'm and I know that Tim and I have kind of like mentioned this a few times we're really surprised of how much we feel like the steam has come out of the NWO pretty quickly, especially since there's like so many guys that are joining it now. It's like half the rod and it's, it, it's pretty much if you used to be in the WWF and you're available right now, you are now a member of the NWO. Like <laughs> once, once um, Virgil showed up, I'm, it's just like, okay, okay. It doesn't take very much to join that group. Um, I know that, um, and I, this is way down the road, but like one of my favorite tag teams was in the NWO because it was like a tag team that I like. I liked one wrestler, and my brother John, who was in a few, was in a few of our episodes. He liked the other wrestler, and that's uh, Vicious and Delicious, which is uh, Scott Flash Norton and Marcus Alexander Bagwell, Buff Bagwell. He was a big. <laughs> my brother's a big Buff Bagwell fan. I'm a big Scott Norton fan. 
And once they teamed up, it was like the, the perfect meshing of like, and like those two guys, just like work really well together too. I, I feel like we're a ways away from that though. But, um, um, and, and Bagwell, uh, like at some point Bagwell's will be joined the NWO and then, um, pretty soon Bischoff is, and then that's kind of like, okay, what's the point now when like half the roster is on the NWO? Like, uh, well, <laughs> it loses the, okay. So, you know, just real quick to break down that storyline. One of the reasons that it's so cool looking back on it is because it's the symbolism involved. You know, it, it's a very deep layered storyline that goes back to the beginning of professional wrestling in America, you know, so uh, North versus South and all this stuff that goes into this incredible storyline. And uh, once Virgil comes along and, and somebody like Bagwell joins the NWO and Bischoff, it's like, what? That doesn't that's not part of this amazing layered storyline. That's cool. This is just reactionary bullshit, which is kind of what we see today on pro wrestling is just reactionary bullshit. Like, oh, you don't like this? Oh, we'll do that. And you don't like, well, you know, it's just kind of like a willy nilly storytelling. Um, how do you feel like as far as far as like you said that it's kind of they've lost steam, but about the storyline itself kind of just unraveling? Yeah, um, and we, were, we were kind of talking about this because we're getting pretty close to Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, which is uh, happening <laughs> in about a month. Can't wait. A, I can't wait. <laughs> it's important to remember that it is Slim Jim presenting this. It's Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. And we have like this. It's. Like the matchup of Hogan and Savage, which is like we've known this since like July even um, because of the whole deal with Slim Jim. But it's like you feel like it's just it's just another like like a presentation of Hulk Hogan as being like the top badass in WCW. And, and you can see like it with Savage that he like there's just maybe a little bit less uh, like passion in, in his, in his work the last few weeks. And it's sort of like, yeah, you know, that like, he's not going to go over in this. I think, I think everyone, even at the time knew that like Savage was not going to be him. Um, but it's also like, this what, that's what happens to Randy Savage. Like almost every other year for his career, he gets fed to Hogan and he knows how it turns out. It doesn't mm-hmm. turn out any different, you know, <laughs> so, like, it, it, it's strange, but like, even though the NWO is like big at this point and they're getting members, it, they also feel like they're kind of spinning their wheels, like waiting for, I don't know if it's like waiting for like a really like legitimate, like adversary, but, uh, the only thing is Which, like anytime they have an adversary, they just join the NWO. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it, seemed like, it seemed like such an easy thing was, would have been to like keep the giant out of the NWO, make him like the big guy that they had to face because the giant is like the one guy that could like wipe out the NWO, like with his own two hands. But as soon as he joined in, it's like, okay, well, well, who is, who's going to be him? You know, like we're not going to see sting for like 10 more years or whatever. Like he's been gone <laughs> for a long time. No one buys well, Luger. Cause like Luger tapped out to the NWO sting. So he lost all of his legitimacy. So like, who is who's left? I, you know, I don't even know what their plan was, and that's something I can't wait to kind of find out from you guys. Is what was the idea behind this? What was the plan? Because it doesn't seem like that they have one. At, you know, at this point in your timeline, it just feels like, hey, let's get as much trash in the ring as we can, and let's, you know, let's let's. Uh, I don't know. We have now all of a sudden we have these uh, 
these uh, youths, you know, that are walking around giving flyers out and stuff like that, oh, you know, and <laughs> it's just awesome. And you could tell that Tony Schiavone doesn't give a fuck. And like you could tell Bobby Heenan doesn't give a fuck. And you could tell Ric Flair doesn't give a fuck. And the only people right. and, and even even somebody like who's at the center of it, Hogan, it's just mailing it in still. He's just like, oh, brother, I'm in the NWO, brother. You know, I don't work out anymore. I just wear black and white, brother. You know, and he's just the exact same guy, basically. He's just a little bit of a jerk, you know? Yeah, well, it's like the the whole gimmick, the whole story of the NWO this, at this point. It's like, we're all buddies. We just hang out. We don't, they, like, they don't have to work. And, like, that's half of your roster not having to, like, do anything or, like, feel like or wrestle matches or anything like that. So it's like, it is, like, a weird status that they're, like, a, that they're in at this point where it's just like, like who, who's really motivated at this point in this feud. It's, it's, it's kind of, like I said, it, it's, it feels like they're kind of spinning their wheels waiting for like a real like adversary. I'm, I'm trying. I mean, I know like the person that's coming up is uh, Roddy Piper and, and I'm hoping that it's not going to, cause I don't really remember how well this plays out for Roddy Piper. And I hope it's not just like a, Oh wait, you can just tell you just got paid the big bucks to, coming to lose Hogan, which it could very well happen like that. But I also have faith that like Roddy Piper, Roddy Piper's like pretty much an, another version of Ric Flair to me, in which like mm-hmm. he's pretty much on at all, at all times and putting him in the ring with Hogan is the best way to get the best out of him. So I'm optimistic that this will, it will be a lot better than I remember, but you know what? We'll have to see, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is tremendous, and um, you know it, it's really fun to hear you guys kind of, uh, uh, you know, do like oh, you know, almost like a storyline where you guys are back in this time and you don't remember what happens next. You know, that's a lot of fun with right. these review kind of review podcasts where you go back and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things too that I really love about uh, you know there was a uh, you guys your coverage of John Tenta. It's one of my favorite things ever because I just, I love Earthquake. I love Earthquake. He's one of my favorite wrestlers Mm -hmm. ever. I am not necessarily a big fan of John Tenta, who is not a fish. He's a man and all that kind of stuff. Um, That was sad, huh? And the the mailman watching him go out to the mail with half of his head shaved and stuff. I mean, this is all very... Like, how how is that? (laughs) How are you supposed to believe that he, like... (laughs) that he's a real like legitimate contender <laughs> like he's complaining about the mailman but it's he, like <laughs> and then he's like these little, these little tidbits that tim keeps bringing up when it comes to john tenta it's like the poor guy was like he was such a, like a team player like the idea that he he changed his tattoo on his shoulder and it just looked awful and then they just <laughs> got rid of the gimmick for him and it's just and then the whole thing of like the half shaved head, it's it, it is it is it's really sad and and like the very few matches he's had on on Nitro have not been good. He had this that long 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 feud with Big Bubba that just never, you know, like they had the the, the quote unquote payoff at Bash of the Beach, and then they just kept wrestling after that. It just there is a lot, especially for like the mid carters and lower card guys. Like you can tell that like they don't put a whole lot of uh, importance or attention to them. Well, you know, they always say that 
was it Triple H says that, you know, pro wrestling's the book that never ends and, and all that bullshit. And that's true, right? But, I mean, stories have to have a beginning and an ending at some point, and so you can start another story. And and um, right now on Raw, I'm watching Dean Ambrose wrestle um, uh, Drew Galloway or Drew McIntyre, and uh, this story yeah. will never end. It will. They won't end it. You know, it's just it's supposed to end last night at Hell in the Cell. No, we're just going to keep it going forever because we're lazy. So, uh, you know, I think you see a lot of that st- same stuff back at the old uh, WCW, especially when they realize that if they put all their effort into the NWO or some of their effort and the rest of it on riding mm-hmm. bikes and you know, and hanging out with uh, basketball players or whatever, um, you know, yeah. they don't really care about any of the other wrestlers, and they just kind of leave that to Kevin Sullivan. And as we all know, he is crazy. Um, what's your favorite <laughs> Kevin Sullivan moment? Right. My favorite Kevin Sullivan moment? Oh, I, there were, I mean, there was a recent week where he, like, didn't look like the, the, the giant grown-up baby because he actually, like, wore pants. That was a highlight. <laughs> That was that's good. I, I like it when he's in like a six or an eight man tag, and he'll come in and do like the the double stomp, and then just tag right out again. Like that that guy knows like how to get like do the least amount of work for like his payday. Or <laughs> and, and just like um, I I mean I think his his false count anywhere match with uh, Chris Benoit at, at Great American match that was mm-hmm. a really good match. And it's really weird to say that like Kevin Sullivan was in a really good match, but he was. Um, so of course, with Chris Benoit, though, you know. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, ninety-five percent Chris Benoit. So of course, like <laughs> since, like that one match went well, he's like, well, okay, so I'm getting over. How about we continue this feud, even though it doesn't make sense to continue the feud? That I think mm-hmm. that's one of the big things I've kind of noticed for like mid '96 for WCW is like they have like the clear payoff matches. But then they just continue them for no reason, you know. And so, like you were saying, like, it is an ongoing story. But sometimes you just got to change the fucking chapter, you know. Move on to the next page. <laughs> and they just refuse to do that. It's like, it's like their book is like a run-on sentence for pages on end. Yeah, so, and, and yeah, you would kind of. It doesn't even make sense in the end either, you know. It's just, it's just by the end of the sentence, they don't even remember how they started or where they were trying to go with it, and that's the problem. Right, yeah, and yeah, it's like because like Chris Benoit clearly got the like the, he got the win, he won that feud. So then, why would he want to fight him anymore? Like he's already beaten him. I, I just just like from his side of things, like it doesn't make any sense. But, <clears throat> and uh, well, we got to cl- <laughs> but well, I mean, but that makes for a great podcast, you know, stuff like that to figure out because. You know, one of the things I always talk about is, uh, you know, uh, the job of a good podcast that's reviewing like a, especially pro wrestling is your job is to figure out what story they were trying to tell, you know, because a lot of times um, they don't do a good job of telling the story. Um, now, one of the stories I want to hear from you is tell me, let's let's get some highlights from your all in weekend and then we'll get into some specifics. But give me kind of an overall. Why did you go? Um, you know, what, what was one of your favorite moments, you know, just tell me a little bit about the weekend and everything. Okay. Well, I mean, as soon as they announced it, I, I think everyone knows that like, this was a historic thing that was happening, but you know, it's like, and to me, that seems like something I just wanted to be a part of and just experience it in person, especially since it ended up being Chicago, which is not that far away from, from, uh, Minneapolis. 
if it was in San Antonio or something like that, then I never would have done it. But since it was like <laughs> relatively close and my brother lives in Chicago. So there was like the idea that I could like stay at his place, save a little bit of money, that sort of thing. Um, but also like, you know, uh, I'm, I've always been a big fan of Cody Rhodes and the young bucks. And, um, and there was just the idea, like there was like a couple of these bucket list people that I could see in person. Like I got to see Okada in person. Like I'm still like my heart's a flutter just uh, just thinking about that. <laughs> and I to me uh, to me that was the by the way the best match was him and uh, and and Skrull. Like wh- whatever the story was as far as like if they went too long or whatever it was a high quality match. So I don't for me as a fan I don't I'm not really like thinking about like well I wonder if he kind of broke some unwritten rule about going five minutes longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the only match of the night that was really a Japanese style match. You know, uh, the rest of the yeah. matches were a little more Western style. Um, but who were some mm-hmm. of the people that, that showed up that maybe you didn't expect to show up or some, maybe somebody that was a surprise in the show that was like, wow, this guy, I've never seen this guy before or I didn't know he could do these things. Who's somebody that, that kind of shocked you? Well, um, I think only about a week or two before the show, I learned of uh, Marco Stunt. If you know, you know who that is. I've interviewed him. I've met him many times. Sure, yeah, he's from oh, he's from Mississippi. Him? Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm begging you to listen to the show. So uh, you know he okay. uh, <laughs> he's from he's from Mississippi. And as of like a couple months ago, one of the only places that booked him was a place called Pro Wrestling Freedom, which is a place that I've reviewed many times. And, you know, and also okay. Pro, uh, Prodigy Pro Wrestling, which is a place that has our logo on the on the, uh, you know, actual poster. So, yeah, we're you know, we're friends with him. So. Yeah, yeah. But um, I heard about him from the uh, from the Joey Janela's like spring break or or whatever he calls one of those shows. Um, and so I was like really excited to see him. And I was like trying to explain. I'm like, I mean, listen, this guy looks like one of the kids from stranger things, but uh, he's also crazy good in the ring. And he, unfortunately we didn't see like a whole lot of him from the actual bad Royal, but just like seeing him in person and just seeing like how he looks in comparison to like normal size people was pretty, was pretty cool. <laughs> Cause he's not a normal size person. He's a tiny, he's a tiny individual. Um, a per- another person I, I got to see, and I'll just kind of pan out here, was Scott Steiner. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I, and I was like, well, we're going to talk about all in. I'm like, I'm all about like the, the shirt appropriate, like wearing like the shirt that goes along with this podcast. So, um, but uh, I bought this from Scott Steiner which I thought was really cool. Um, so like that, that, that was like, I was telling him like, I really want to get that shirt. Can you grab like a medium for me? And Scott Steiner was like, I, I think you're a large. I'm like, okay. The big pop pop thinks I'm a large. I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> he's like, he's like, Oh no. Like if you want to try it on and I might be wrong. I'm like, no, 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 no. You said, like, I'll get lucky. <laughs> so, and so he, he gave me the shirt and it was like 25 bucks. And I was like, oh, do you, uh, do you have like card or something like that? But he's like, no, I only accept cash. And I was like, oh, I don't have any cash right now. Why don't I just like awkwardly hand this shirt back to you and I'll come back in a moment. 
bucks. So I had to like go go to the cash machine, get twenty five bucks, and come back. So I was able to redeem myself. But like there was that moment where I'm like handing the shirt back to him, and he's probably like, "What's going on here?" And that wasn't even like the that wasn't the only time that happened to me. I also got a shirt from Colt Cabana, but he only accepted PayPal. And he was like, do you have PayPal? And then in the back of my mind, I was like, I've once had a PayPal account before. So I said, oh, yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. So then I was like standing there by his booth, like downloading the app, setting it up. And so I could send him like the 20 bucks for his shirt. So it was like at every every corner I was failing when it came to like payment. So uh, which is, you know, I've never been to a convention like this before. Not like to this like extent. Um, so I didn't realize that like people were going to have like all these different forms of payment. I, I mean, I should have just brought like a whole bunch of cash, but like, I'm also not the million dollar man. So I don't have a whole bunch of cash. Obviously. So mm-hmm. but, no, it was crazy. It was like, it got to the point where I, I became like really numb to like all the different wrestlers I was seeing. Cause they were just, it was, it was like kind of like a small hotel and they were just all over the place going all over the place. So another thing was uh, was because, um, like you were saying, Tim had like this really busy schedule for all these different people he was going to meet, and eventually he kind of got backed up. And so he was like, "Dave, I need you to take this and go meet Raven for me." And I was like, "Okay, I mean, I don't care much about Raven, but I guess." <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> so I waited in line for like a long time, and I was just like, oh, God, "I can see Raven or whatever." Um, and, and the guy walks by and he's like, so what's this line for? And I was like, oh, it's like, we're going to see Raven. Thanks for asking Jeff Jarrett. He just like passes by me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's another guy that I admired for a long time as a childhood, as a child. So like, oh, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Now, um, one of the things that I always uh, think is interesting is that, you know, and you've probably met wrestlers in the past before, um, is that is the size when you see them in person, you know, because I'm about 5'10", 5'10 and a half. And so I'm shocked to find out that I tower over most wrestlers, you know, not necessarily guys that are WWE guys, but most independent wrestlers, I'm just like looking down on like, holy crap. You're listed at six yeah. foot and you are nowhere close, you know? Who is somebody right. whose size, either one way or the other, surprised you? I mean, well, Marco Stunt, obviously, but. <laughs> but I, I'm like almost exactly at five foot ten, so I'm like kind of on the same page as you are. Um, as far as like guys are a, a lot bigger than I realized, one was Diamond Dallas Page. He's like a legit like six five or something like that you could see a picture of him with uh tim and he's like just towering over him but most of the wrestlers are either like about my height or a little bit shorter than me which i thought was just kind of weird too um the guy that in particular was like really tiny i'm trying to remember what his name was but uh uh it'll come back to me i can remember the guy that um that got fired from wwe because he took a picture with the ring of honor guys Around the oh, time Jimmy, when Jimmy Jacobs, yeah, he's a little tiny guy. Jimmy Jacobs, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every time, because like he he had like uh, like kind of like a center stage as far as like his where he was uh, sitting was concerned, and so I saw him like constantly. And every time I saw him, like that is a small dude, <laughs> you know. If I were, he's actually. If, if I ahead. were, 
wanted to be a wrestler, there would be no better way to convince me than like seeing wrestlers and being like, I'm bigger than a good portion of these wrestlers. Or um, I had, I should be, I should uh, send you my picture with uh, Joey Ryan. Because uh, Joey Ryan, I was like, I'm a couple inches taller. Not, not way taller, but I, I kind of expected him to be, I don't know, maybe it's just like, since he's like this manly man kind of guy, you would expect him just to be a bigger dude. But no, mm-hmm. he's like five seven, five eight, somewhere around there. But uh, yeah, I've stood next to Joey Ryan many times, and and the first time I saw him, I was definitely shocked at how small he is because he normally wrestles small independent guys, and so you never see him like in the ring with like I don't know, uh, you know, Diamond Dallas Page or someone like that that would make him look like a little tiny person. He looks normal sized on Lucha Underground because. Everyone on Lucha Underground is itsy bitsy. I mean, you know, uh, right. Matt Cross. Matt Cross is tiny, you know, and a lot of these guys are. And it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, though. Um, now, I, was there any of the cruiserweight types uh, running around over there from WCW? Did you see any Rey Mysterios or anybody like that? <clears throat> no, um, not from, not really from WCW. I mean, I saw a, a bunch of Impact guys, um, like. Uh, Austin Aries, because uh, uh, Tim and I went and we got some um, we got some like pulled pork from uh, ODB because ODB had like a, a food stand, a food truck. So she had like a food truck. We went and got some food, and then Austin Aries like came up and just was like just cutting a promo on her, just because Austin Aries I guess is a a heel twenty four seven. But also I also knew he was kind of smaller, but it's also just a little bit weird where it's like, yeah, I'm I'm taller than Austin Aries, the current like. He's a current like heavyweight champion, and and like I don't know, it it just it's still it's just it's just really weird to to like see these guys that like appear larger than life, and then when you see them in person, it's like oh they're they're like a normal sized person. That's just mm-hmm. it, it's it's <clears throat> still it's still hard to grasp. Like no matter how many times you might possibly meet wrestlers, you're just still like really I'm bigger than this person. <laughs> well, so who was the uh, the person that you met that was kind of left the biggest impression on you, or like gave you kind of the most insight? Maybe gave you the most time and was the most kind to you. It was definitely Glacier for sure, and I because like I wasn't even because you had to like like uh, do like the twenty bucks in order to see him. Like you had to have like a, a ticket or something like that, and I just like went with Tim because he had the ticket, so I was there to make sure to take the picture. But he was like so nice and and like just willing to give time and and like he had like um he had like a gif on his phone that he wanted to show so he's like sitting there scrolling through it and we're waiting for the show there's a gif of, of uh i can't remember it was uh, some there was like a, a mexican wrestler that he wrestled early on in nitro that like he just like drilled right in the face with his back kick and he had that as like a as like a photo that you could get signed. I was like, I was like, oh, that's a really that's a good kick. And he's like, oh yeah, I have a gif on it. Just wait a second here, I'll just pull it up. For you. Uh, Liz Mark oh. Jr. Uh, so yeah, uh, man. Well, that that's great because you know I didn't get to see him do any kicks, unfortunately. Um, but uh, it, it's uh, it was uh, it was a little weird. But you know, um, well that that's an interesting thing. You know, meeting a guy like Glacier and seeing him you know, uh, do that, like sit there and, you know, like you said, it, 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 being amongst all these people in these kinds of atmospheres makes you realize who's a normal person and who isn't. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit of shit. Who was a jerk? Who was somebody that uh, that was just kind of like, you know, either didn't look up or just kind of didn't have any time for anybody? Oh, boy. I don't even know. If, I don't know if anyone really struck that sort of chord with me. I mean, I, I did not, like, go and see a whole bunch of wrestlers. I just kind of was, like, going through the line and just, like, whoever was available. But uh, I, I don't really feel like anyone, like, came across as, like, not wanting to be there. Oh, wait. Um, no, Tim was saying that, like, Meng was kind of like that Meng and the barbarian and i think that the barbarian might have been late for his like dungeon of doom photo op but those are also <laughs> but those are those are also guys where it's like if they want to be crabby they can go ahead and be crabby i'm not gonna tell either face of fear how to be acting right now you know <laughs> we uh we up at uh, one of the places we go a lot, Rockstar Pro, we have, you know, legends come in and out of there quite a bit. And um, a lot of times it's it's guys that are big on the independent scene. I mean, I, you know, one of the, like, claims to fame, so to speak, are people that I got to see, like, on their last road to uh, WWE was, like, Tommy End. You know, like, people like that you see all the time mm-hmm. up there, which is really great. Um, but every once in a while, Kevin Sullivan's there. He comes, like, twice a year. And uh, he was there uh, for an outdoor pay-per-view a couple, uh, like, months ago. And it was supposed to be a surprise. And I don't know why, but he was just wandering around before the show trying to get, like, a signal on his phone, like an old man. And I had to ask him to get out of my way. I was like, Can, hey, because I had to go through this doorway. And he's just standing there, you know, looking outside. And I was like, hey, uh, Mr. Sullivan, can I, can you mind uh, getting out of the way so I can walk past you? <laughs> So, um, it's, it, you know, it's nuts. Um, sometimes the people that you run into and everything, it, it's just so weird, the, the world of wrestling and, and how, it, it, unlike a lot of other things, like, like if you, let, let's say you love movies and, and you love movie stars, you can't go just talk to movie stars. That's not how this works, you know? Um, but wrestlers yeah. are accessible, especially with social, social media. It's a big part of how they make money nowadays. Um, who's somebody mm-hmm. that you, you guys have been able to contact that's been like the biggest pop for you? Who, I mean, you said Scott Steiner, but I mean, overall, throughout the whole podcast and everything, is there anybody that you've kind of been able to interact with that's been a big surprise and somebody that really, really, you know, was a, a surprise for you? Uh, well, I mean, we, Tim and I went to uh, Fortune Bania, um, which was a heavy on wrestling show that was up north in uh, about a month ago, or no, two months ago. Um, and that that was uh, the whole, like, NWO was there, Hall, Nash, and, and Sean Waltman. And um, I, I was really, really impressed with uh, Sean Waltman. Um, it, it seems like he has, like, I, this is, like, the weirdest thing that I'll probably say, but, like, he has, like, this like aura around him of like just being someone that's really like happy and content with his life now. And I, and I believe it's probably cause like, he's like kind of like turned himself around as far as like drugs and things like that are concerned. And, and he's like also like weirdly like jacked up now. So, which I think he's, I think he's another person that's doing the DDP yoga thing that seems to be working out for him. Um, but he was just like, so genuinely nice. And I was like, Oh God. And I wanted to like keep hating him too. <laughs> that's, that's always, that's like the thing where it's like, uh, I, I wasn't, I never was like super impressed with Glacier, but now I'm like, now I can't hate Glacier because he was so nice in person. But like, uh, to me, yeah, to me, there was just like this, like it was pretty surreal meeting Sean Waltman and seeing how 
like it, it seemed like he has like his life together and he's just like so generally like happy that people want to meet him still and like talk with him and everything like that um so to me like that was i think like was the most impressive person i've met that was a that's a wrestler recently uh to me the thing i always say about x-pac or sean waltman is that he's the only wrestler or maybe there's one other one but he's one of the only wrestlers that when i hear him talk i believe everything he says and you know because most i mean and and he seems pretty I, i like that pretty much checks out after a certain date like after like 2010 or something like that you can believe anything he says and he's almost you know always not going to be lying so you know like his shoot interviews are really fun to watch now you know somebody like kevin nash you know we make fun of him a lot on the show you know uh we have a kind of like a impersonation we do of him you know it's just like a drunk guy with a deep voice you know <laughs> and uh and uh you know because uh but he you know kevin nash is one of those guys that He's so sneaky and calculating. I just – like anytime you see him in one of these interviews or something, he's sitting there yeah. and you see the wheels spinning, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's either thinking about when is my next bottle of wine coming or how can I, you know, manipulate this situation to my advantage or, you know, what mm-hmm. lie did I tell 30 years ago that I now have to tell again? It's kind of like those are the order of his thoughts, you know? Um, what was it like meeting meeting Kevin Nash and uh, Scott Hall? Uh <laughs> Well, let's see. So, yeah, so Scott Hall was kind of like, I think that he was just like pretty happy, just happy to be here or or, or whatever. Um, he was the guy that like he liked my um, my Legends of Minneapolis wrestling T-shirt that I had. That was the one that, that had Baron Von Rashton. He was like, yeah, dude, like he's over there in the corner. You should, you should get his autograph. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. But, <laughs> but no, I – I totally agree when it comes to Kevin Nash. You can tell you can tell that like every conversation for him is like it's it's like a, a, a chess game, you know? Like you're not gonna get one up on him. And he's no. he seems like he's pretty ready for like he, I'm sure people come up and talk shit to him all the time. And and I'm sure that like after years and years of like having to handle any fan with like all these like really smart, smarky things to say to him, that he's like on guard at all times. So uh, you can you can kind of tell it's like no you're not gonna get one by him anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, it's like if uh, if you had a doobie to smoke, he's gonna take it from you and take it back to his hotel. Meanwhile, X Pac's gonna be like, hey, let's go around back, you know. So that's yeah. pretty much how those <laughs> the difference between those guys. Uh, but uh, but anyway, well, um, man, we gotta you know we we've been going at this for about forty five minutes already, believe it or not. So it's about that time, and I, I hate to do this already, but we got to do Mad Libs. So you said you want to do Mad Libs, so we got to do Mad Libs. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, a couple things we got to do. First is we have to go through the choices, which uh, the choice is ever-growing, my friends. So, uh, you know, we, okay. have, we have your regular old WWE Mad Libs, right? You know, just the run-of-the-mill yep. WWE Mad Libs, like anybody has laying around their house. Um, we have uh, Pokemon Mad Libs, all right? Um, did did one of those with Jock Sampson, and we ended up with a sentence about fucking Pokemon. That was awesome. Um, we have uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice. We have History of the World. Ooh. We have Adventure Time. Nice. Oh. Star Trek. Star Wars. And everyone's favorite, Total Divas Mad Libs. That's what <laughs> – it's like everybody – everybody, whenever I come to that one, they're like, oh – 
you know, I'm going to be different and I'm going to get total divas. And I'm like, everyone does the total divas. <laughs> so, so which one's it going to be? Uh, though I'm going to try the, the history one. Okay. History of the world. Tremendous. Yeah. Now, uh, since we got a little time, let's what well, we're going to do two, okay? So the first one is going to be a warm up and I'm going to tell you what the name of it is, okay? And the second one will be okay. a secret. And we are running low on these, but um these are actually usually pretty quick too. So now uh you know, I always explain this by a couple things. First of all, everyone's already made the adjective joke, so you know, it can't be play, all right? Um and then the the you know, <laughs> and it then was, the, I, it took me a second to be like the adjective joke. And we were just talking about Kevin Nash. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just look at the adjective play. But, uh, but yeah, so um, <laughs> we, we can't use that. But I always say, you know, just channel your inner six-year-old the first time that you realized that, that shit was a word that was funny and that, uh, you know, things like smelly and poopy and, and things like that are hilarious. You know, that's the be- those are your best words for Mad Libs in my opinion. So the first one actually is an adjective. Oh, and the name of this one is Wanted Fountain of Youth. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so we need a describing um, word, an adjective. Describing word. Uh, how about slippery? Slippery. Okay. All right. Uh, not very gross, but could be. Could be. Uh, now we need a verb ending in ing. It's yeah, we're warming up. A verb ending in ing, and I always remind folks that any cuss word can be turned into a verb ending in ing. So, just saying. Uh, how about queefing? Wow, that's great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> how about and now? We challenge me to step up my game. So there you go. <laughs> awesome, tremendous. Now we need we need an animal, any animal, and it could be an imaginary animal. Doesn't matter. Um, how about, how about a velociraptor? Okay. All right. And no idea how to spell that, but I got it. A uh, part of the body. Part of the body? Um, the heel. Okay. All <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> now we need an adjective. Another adjective. Um, Now I'm telling you that can't even remember any adjectives. Oh um, my god! See, you wanted to do Mad Libs, and here we are. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> how about dingy? Dingy. Okay. All right. I mean, don't don't outsmart yourself here. You know what I mean? Like I said, the the the, the more stupid and and ridiculous it is, the better. So um, now we need a plural noun. Plural noun. Um, how about the heavenly bodies? Okay. All right. Heavenly bodies. All right. Now we need a place. And that place can be anything. I mean, my, one of my uh, examples I always say is your mom's ass. That could be a place, you know? So. <laughs> um, how about uh, a toilet? Okay. Toilet? The inside right. of the toilet. toilet. How about toilet bowl? Will that work? Okay. That, okay. Okay. Toilet bowl. We'll compromise there. All right. Now uh, we need another adjective. Another adjective. How about um, dirty? 
Dirty? Okay, all right. Um, and we need a silly word, and we're getting close here. Uh, silly word? Mm-hmm. Uh, falafel. Falafel, that's pretty silly. All right. Um, no idea how to spell that either, but I got creative with that one. Uh, now we need a noun. Uh, noun. Um, cumberbund. Okay. That's going to be good. Um, and a plural noun. Plural noun. Um, butts. Butts. There we go. Now we're talking. And then we need, and then we need just a, you know, regular plain old noun. And then we're done with this one. Uh, plain old noun. Plunger. Plunger. Okay. All right. So again, this one's called Wanted Fountain of Youth. Spanish okay. explorer Ponce de Leon seeks a slippery fountain of youth. Anyone who drinks or queefs in its waters will have <laughs> eternal youth. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It can also cure illnesses from velociraptor pox to the oh, heel flu. I, that's, it is the worst, man. It has been rumored for many dingy years that the fountain of youth exists. Some heavenly bodies believe it either is in the new world or the toilet bowl. Uh, one or the other. It's got to be one or the other. If you find this dirty fountain, please contact Ponce de Leon at 555-Falafel or Ponce de Leon at Cumberbond.com. You will be rewarded with gold and butts as well as <laughs> eternal plunger. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to do <laughs> – that's pretty good, right? I want to be rewarded like with butts. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, buddy. Uh, now, all right. So so we got – let's switch it up or do you want to do another history of the world? What are we going to do? Um, let's switch it up. But let's do like – what? let's do like the just the, – the standard WWE one. You got it. Let's see if we got any left. I actually have two copies of this because it's – oh, here we go. All right. Okay. All right. All right. This is going to work now. I'm not going to tell you what this one is. So, But, uh, you know, okay. the more stupid, the better, as usual. We need a noun here right away. Um, a noun. Penis. Penis. There we go. All right. Yeah. Uh, we need an article of clothing. An article of clothing. Uh, G-string. That's actually going to be extremely appropriate in this. So um, <laughs> we, we also need a plural noun. Plural noun. Um, plural noun. Slippers? Slippers, okay. Um, now we need a regular old noun, just singular noun. Singular noun. Um, uh, belt? Belt, okay. Uh, now we need another singular noun. And just remember, I mean, there's farts, there's poop, there's shit, there's fuck. There's all these things we're leaving just 